The other thing that I was concerned about, if people are inclined to hurt helpless animals, who is the next most available helpless target? And that would be little children. That's the danger. It might be repugnant that someone pokes the eyes out of a, a cat or sets it on fire, but it's terrifying when it goes to the next level. Welcome to Crime Scene Gold Coast with Guardian Criminal Law. My name's Mark Savick, I'm the Principal of Guardian Criminal Law and we'll be bringing you podcasts weekly. A variety of uh, topics that can be very sensitive, so please be careful when you're listening and uh, if you need any assistance at all, we'll include a lifeline number at the bottom of the page. Really appreciate you subscribing and liking our podcast channel. You can uh, listen to us across most social media platforms, Spotify, uh, YouTube, uh, TikTok, and uh, you'll find us there. We look forward to bringing you many episodes in the future. Right, so today we've got Miss Jeannie Quinn joining us. Jeannie, you're thoroughbred horse trainer and strapper, a JP and a lawyer. That's right. That's amazing. Thank you. Here, tell us a little bit about your journey to the law. Well, uh, probably as a child, I always had a bit of a sense of right and wrong and didn't like being bullied or any of that. And I thought, um, didn't see myself going that way, probably more a veterinary surgeon, actually, when I was younger. I didn't have much to do with humans, an awful lot to do with animals. I've changed my mind now. I really do feel quite sorry for humans, and so I'm enjoying this side of my life now where I have more to do with them and um, yeah so I think as a child at school I had quite good marks going forward but a slight glitch at the age of 15 where I managed to get pregnant and have a child. Yeah, so wow. Lisa was cared for by myself and my parents. She's now married with her own so children. So you stayed at school? Uh, no, in those days we couldn't do that. Yeah, no. that, that would have been a real issue. It was terrible. That... Yep, okay. really bad. Okay. And so, yes, that was the end of uh, school for me. So I had to learn how to type. I'd been at school learning Latin and other, other things like that. And so I learned to type. I got office jobs, worked in bars and nightclubs and anything I could do, but always paying for my child to go to school. And, um, and then eventually, as time went on, you could actually go back to school. And I recall going to get my university entrance when I was about 20. And then I couldn't make my mind up whether to do pharmacy. And then I married and had two more children. I worked in a business and I we lived on a small farm. That's where I started breeding the horses. So yes, I um, eventually started studying law at that age. You did some agricultural studies too. I did. I started off with agricultural science. I didn't okay. finish that one, but I enjoyed it. I lived in Palmerston North in New Zealand, so Massey University, the agricultural college or university was there. Okay. Yeah. So. And, and sorry, I've, I've taken you off track. And So then you commenced your studies in law. I didn't. Um, in New Zealand, I lived in a rural area, so the closest university to me was Victoria, and it's a lovely old university. Um, I really wanted to do a law degree there, but I I started in Australia at Bond. My parents departed and left us behind 
and came to Redcliffe in Australia, probably about 1990. Okay. How old were you then? So I would have been about probably my 30s then. Okay. And, um, so it wasn't like they were abandoning their children. No, they <laughs> they, they escaped and yeah. <laughs> they enjoyed it over here. Okay. Yeah. So I came along after my marriage broke up. I then came over here in 2000 and enrolled pretty much straight away at Bond University. And I started studying law there and I loved every minute of it. Mm. In one of our previous episodes, we had the pleasure of uh, talking to Dr. Gavin Polk. You've done work with uh, Dr. Yes. Polk recently, currently working with Dr. Polk as, as I am. Right. And uh, the topic of our conversation sort of touched on psychopathy and the signs of psychopathy. And I asked a question of Dr. Polk about what sort of early signs there are with children. And he talked about Lack of eye contact was a big one that he talked about, and we had some discussion around that. And then he also talked about this propensity to be cruel to animals and mm -hmm. not have any empathy. You have done some work around that. I did, Can you yes. talk to us a little bit about your, your well, findings? Um, look, as a child, I had really strong <clears throat> feelings about hurting animals or loathing for that kind of thing. Why would anyone do that? Yeah, yeah. So at university, um, there was a new subject that came along, animal law. And I enrolled in it thinking with my farming background, I'd learn about contracts for exporting live sheep. People oh, are not happy about that. Okay. Uh, and in fact, it was more to do with um, the legislation uh, that deemed animals were not sentient. They had no feelings and they didn't love, they didn't feel pain, which, of course, I believe is not true. I agree with and, you. And, you know, as I, I don't think... I think, think anybody that's owned animals would have to agree oh, with you, wouldn't they? Yeah. Wouldn't I, they have... It's just you, you can see the purpose in them and the, the emotion in them. Yeah. And you interact with them. For anybody to say that they don't communicate with you, that's just not correct. No, well, um, we, we even find with family law matters, sometimes people are fighting over the dog as yeah. it's their child, but the law says it's property. And unfortunately, and in some domestic violence matters, we're having people being cruel to animals in order yes. to hurt the other party. That's that's quite yeah, right. Yeah. And so now that time has gone on a bit, we've got um, not only do we society accept that these animals feel, but they're just so useful. And you have the canine assistance dogs um, for medical purposes. Of course, police dogs and seeing eye dogs have been around for a long time. Um, but today, the emotional support dogs for sufferers of PTSD, uh, in my case, riding for the disabled has been around forever, where yeah. you have children that are disabled or shy, and yeah. they are just, they thrive on on their interaction with animals. Yeah, so um, I started wondering, um, I'm quite interested in criminal law, and I wondered if people who started off hurting animals as young children, uh, it is unusual. I don't want everyone to think that it goes on all the time. It's, it's not that common, but there, there are people who, or small children, that enjoy seem to enjoy doing it. They seem to be obsessed with it. And... Um, is this a problem? You know, do they go on hurting them and then when they run out of animals, do they turn to other small children and does it develop into anything else? And as your discussion with Dr. Polk indicated, 
um, I believe it's called the McDonald Triad. I don't know if it's been still as popular as it was back in the day, but in 1963, uh, psychiatrist John McDonald, he decided this McDonald Triad was very relevant and that would be as a predictor of adult violence um, and that would be fire setting, bedwetting uh, beyond the age of five and cruelty to animals. I found it very difficult to research this topic for the simple fact that anything, as we know, to do with children is not for production. That's right. Not, um, you know, the closed courts. And they often use um, an initial as opposed to a name. And that's not a bad thing, of course. But yes. it's uh, even the case many years ago of, of the murder of that little boy, James Bolger, in, um, that was in England. the UK. Yep. Tell us a little bit about that case. Look, um, I don't have too much uh, by by way of details, uh, the date and whatever. It's a long time ago. But two boys, I think they were aged about 10 or 11, yep. uh, took a little boy who was two, James Bolger. Uh, his mother had, had him by the hand in a shopping centre and just let go momentarily. And much to her horror, he was gone. And these boys took him away. Um, and they uh, terribly mutilated and hurt him, bashing him with uh, uh, bricks and kicking him and um, hurting him, putting paint on him. I believe they put batteries in his mouth. It was just dreadful. And after that, they took him and they lay him across railway tracks. And I understand that they had been doing that to animals uh, earlier Um and laying them across the railway tracks and observing them being sort of cut in half by the trains. And that's exactly what happened to little James Bolger. His body was found two days later and the trains had been over the top of him as well. So that was wow. shocking. And um, what, what, what sort of sentences did those two boys receive? Look, from memory, I think around <clears throat> eight years and it was extended. They were sent to two different residences, if you will, um, more like a boy's home scenario, not so much a prison. Uh, there were arguments back then about whether children had the capacity to understand if they'd done wrong um, beyond the age of 10. And these boys, it was deemed that they did know that it was wrong. Um, in the case of one of the boys, he went on to not reoffend for the rest of his life. But from memory, the boy uh, might have been Venables. He went on to become very interested in child pornography. And he was found repeatedly with child pornography and he was incarcerated on a number of occasions. The problem they had with both of them was keeping their um, their names or they. They suppressed the names, but then they gave them other identities, if you will. And every now and again, someone would find out. And as Facebook came along, they were putting things on Facebook. These people were being punished for doing that uh, as well, by outing these guys um, for the risk that it may not have been them. Uh, so yet there was some mention that maybe Venables had come to New Zealand or Australia Yes, uh, that's what I heard. That's yeah. what I was just about to mention. I, it was just Venables, was it? Not, I, I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, was, I seem to remember some discussion about where they were going to go upon release. Yeah. Because they, they wouldn't be able to live merge, a normal life. No, 
No. Well, clearly, um, Venables really he didn't uh, he didn't become a model citizen at all after that. I I don't know if he's still alive. Um, he's clearly hidden away somewhere. Do we know much about their family life? Um, from what I gather, they were troubled. Um, the the other boy, look, I'm not sure if his name was Thompson. I can't remember. He he was initially the perpetrator, and he was the one that wanted to hurt the child. Um, but as time went on, they both suffered from post traumatic stress, uh, and the boy that initially wanted to be the cruelest suffered the worst and he never went on to offend again. Um, so it's very difficult. I, I, I haven't looked thoroughly into it and, yeah, it can be difficult to find out too much, but I don't know whether someone's childhood is necessarily a precursor. It, it's no doubt going to... Um, influence the way that a young person grows up if they don't have that caring parental support and someone that's going to maybe point out that poking the eyes out of pussycat is not appropriate. Um, if they see dreadful behaviour at home, no doubt they're going to carry that with them, but does it make them kill other people? And interestingly, my mother was born in Glasgow. Um, she was evacuated from Glasgow during the Second World War and thought she'd died and gone to heaven. Glasgow is not a pleasant location. And her mother ran away when she was only five and left her in a house full of men. So I have no idea what happened to my mother. But she's an interesting person. She's no longer with us. Uh, she believed that if you were allowed some form of um, pity for murder, she would be a mass murderer because her background was so appalling that everyone would have felt so sorry for her. However, she always believed that everybody knows right from wrong. And yeah. she knew right from wrong when she was a small child. And interestingly, without knowing right from wrong, she would have had no hope. And that's that hope is what people that come from those dreadful backgrounds pray for, that a kind person will come along and help them. And sadly, that often doesn't happen. Well, if you're born with a predisposition towards that sort of behaviour and then you're born into that environment... That's right. ...then those things coupled together don't give much hope for a no. good outcome. No. And there's not that sense of empathy either because no one's ever shown it to mm. you. Yeah. So, no, um, you, can, you can look at quite a few serial killers actually and... Uh, invariably they have a disposition to hurt animals. I'd like to have a discussion with you about the state of the law. So we're talking about animals being recognised as sentient beings. Mm -hmm. I do know that India passed laws a few years ago uh, recognising dolphins as sentient non-humans. Okay. And so this idea of recognising animals as sentient beings is starting now to appear in some of our, our legislation. Can you tell us a little bit about that sort of development? So what sort of rights animals have and the foundation upon which those rights are assessed? Most farm animals are just cut out there, dealt with by way of legislation. Um, and generally the 
the five freedoms are what uh, would, would apply normally to a farm animal. So that would be the right to be able to stand up and lie down, turn around and groom themselves and just stretch their limbs. So if they're being transported from A to B, um, live sheep and cattle export, these types of things, they would be um, the basis on which um, the people transporting would be sort of regulated or prosecuted if, if the animals are not entitled to uh, these five freedoms. But I really don't have up-to-date information on, on that. So I wonder, yeah. I, wonder, I wonder how they consider pets. What sort of rights do pets have under the law? Um, as I understand it, they're still property. So we have these organisations like the RSPCA who and Animal Welfare League, many of whom are people that volunteer for these um, out and about in society. Um, they look for funding um, from the public at large and they will go out and collect these animals that they believe are being injured and hurt and then retrain them and put them back into society to be adopted again. Um, they're reliant on people complaining and ringing in. Uh, Organisations like greyhound racing and thoroughbred racing, those industries have their own um, monitoring situation where the, the people who have the licences are obliged to treat the animals accordingly. Uh, there have been recent incidences where there have been um, some dreadful situations occurring, especially with greyhounds. Yes, we saw that mm. horrific footage of greyhounds being trained with live live bait animals. That's correct, yeah. So the people that are tying the bait animal to that machine that spins them around the track, mm -hmm. they're not the same as the psychopaths, are they? No. They're, 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 they don't have any empathy for the animal that they're tying on to be bait, but it's coming out of uh, a desire for commercial gain. That's correct. They want, they want yeah. the, the animal to win the dog mm. to win the race yes. so that they can get some money and the cruelty to the rabbit or to the baby pig that they tie onto this machine mm. is just part and parcel of the pursuit of the win. So it's different than just inflicting pain and suffering upon an animal just for the sake of enjoying the pain and suffering. I, I agree with you. And we also have to look beyond that to the farming uh, background where not that long ago, I mean, even young boys were sent out to kill a sheep and um, uh, chickens for, for the family to feed. They knew how to, to kill them and how to skin them, how to cut them up. And today, with everything being packaged, people don't really remember those days. Uh, so with the commercial um, baiting for the dogs, and allowing them to kill does actually make them chase the prey. That's been a practice for many generations with um, these uh, greyhounds and wolfhounds and other dogs that are gaze hounds. So um, there are other pursuits like the um, fox hunting, for example, that's now been banned in the UK. Um, in the UK. Um, so the poor fox, he was very difficult to catch actually, but the, the hounds would chase him down and then they'd catch him. 
uh, they would disembowel the fox, ripping him up. And then if I was a fresh rider on that um, hunt, I would be blooded. So the intestines or parts of the fox would be just rubbed across my face and leave a piece of um, sort of a bit of gore. And that was that was my introduction to being um, part of the hunt club. Yeah, yeah, so that's that's animal cruelty, very it's, at its highest, really. It's it's, it's a, a sort of a tradition, uh, yes. and um, I'm quite pleased it's no longer around. Yeah, um, they do hunt in New Zealand. There there are no foxes. They hunt hares, so they they still do that. Um, on the other hand, they've got a really bad rabbit problem over there. So if they're not poisoning them and they're managing to hunt one or two with their um, groups of horses chasing them, that's all well and good. But they do get, if the pack of hounds get hold of the prey, they do rip it apart. There's no doubt about that. It's just something that I don't feel comfortable about myself, no. Yeah, Mm. Yeah, not at all. No. That's very different to young people being directly cruel to animals. I can recall a couple of uh, cases when I was much younger where some children had uh, set fire to a horse in a paddock. Good God. Um, and another case where they'd set fire to a cat yeah. um, and then let the cat go. Yeah. So they're very concerning sorts of incidents. Well, this is um, with children, they can be curious. And um, if that's combined with this clinical stand back and observe lack of empathy personality, I could almost see them disemboweling a creature and pegging it out like Jeffrey Dahmer did and observing it, still alive but dying, um, as a, a sort of classroom experiment for want of, better, of, a, of a better term. So Dahmer was doing that sort of stuff as a kid, was he? Yes, yes. Okay, so tell us a bit about who Jeffrey Dahmer was. I know a lot of people will still remember, but there will be a lot of younger listeners and viewers who would not know about uh, Mr. Dahmer. So, um, look, he, I've got a note here, there was a recent program on television that was quite interesting and he spoke about everything himself. He's quite conversational. He apparently dismembered 17 boys and men. So He He cannibalised some too, didn't he? He did, yes. Um, So he dismembered and killed animals when he was a young boy. Okay. He did hunting, I I believe his father... um, enjoyed hunting as well um i don't from what i gather he didn't come from a poor fat a, a sort of an unfortunate background he seemed to be quite doted upon by his parents mm. he lived with his grandmother for quite a while however the prey that he was the human beings that were being dismembered and stored underneath her home the odor became so bad that she asked him to leave Oh, so w- yeah. what did she think it was him? Uh, I yeah. don't think she had any idea they were human beings that he dismembered and was in love with. So the unfortunate thing about him is that he truly did fall in love with uh, with people. Um, presumably he had some psychological problem where he couldn't inter- sort of interact with living people. So he would, um, he actually, he wasn't violent in the way he killed them to my knowledge. I think he poisoned um he gave them sedatives yes yes he drugged yeah. them first and then but he then would... it could get then it would get very violent oh he sadistic cut... maybe is that right oh okay i think so... well, well one of the victims i think 
one of the victims that was not long before he was apprehended. There was a young man who he had enticed back to his apartment. He had drugged. Yeah. And then he drilled a hole in his head and poured acid into the hole to try to affect a, a chemical lobotomy. Okay. And he thought that he would be able to control the person this way so that once he damaged that part of that frontal lobe, that they would become like a zombie and forever under his control and he oh. could then keep them in his apartment to use as he desired. His, his loved one. So, yeah, mm. so this seemed to be some part of his pattern of behaviour. He would get somebody but the thought of letting them go was just too much. Right. couldn't let yeah. them go. So and this is why they say that he kept their body parts because he had to hang on to them. Like instead of disposing of them yeah. somewhere far away, he wanted them to be close by even though they were dead. It's one of the most disturbing parts about Dharma's case is that this young man escaped and he ran out into the street and neighbours called the police and said there's a young man in huge distress out in the street. The police came. Dharma came downstairs and said to the police that that, that, that was his gay lover and that he'd oh, been drinking no. too much and taking drugs and, and he's been trying to look after him because he's the way he is and the police let him take him back up to the apartment and the police left. Oh, so and that young man was then killed. Yep. Yeah. So, so it's just absolutely oh. frightening, frightening stuff that he would have the temerity that he's inflicted this torture mm. upon somebody and brain damage and he's gone down and faced the police obviously with a lot of confidence to be able to convince and them. took him away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I understand no. he also, he spent a bit of time in prison. He released a young, might have been a juvenile at one point. He uh, let him go and uh, they, they caught him for that. And so that was one of his mistakes. I don't know that he made that mistake too much uh, again um, by leaving them alive. That's you know. right. That's mm. right. Did he, there, yeah. there was also, I, I, coming back to home, closer to home, mm. Ivan Malat, the backpacker yes. killer, I think that he was also one mm. where there was a link to cruelty to animals from yes. a young age. Yes, I've, um, yep. So... He was a backpacker murderer. That's what yep. he was known as. Um, he was convicted of murdering seven seven missing young people. Um, they believe that there could have been more, um, but yes, he tortured animals and shot them. And um, he was uh, apparently quite a cruel person. He did come from a very disturbed family background. What's what was his family background like? So, um, look. Some of the, the brothers in the family seem to be quite lucid and as fairly s sensible, actually. Um, I've seen them on television. I don't know much more about it. It was quite a troubled uh, background, quite, quite harsh. And, um, yeah, so he was definitely, I would suggest, a troubled person long before he started murdering other people. And once again, there seems to be a similarity with some of these people. They just have trouble uh, reaching out to another person and having a normal relationship, being able to discuss things with them. It's almost as if they have to take possession and 
render this person either unconscious or dead before they can have a relationship with them at all. So this is quite common. Um, and also we have um, uh, Martin Bryant, of course. Yes. Now, he was obviously the Tasmanian mass murderer, 35 people killed. What year was that now, Jenny? Um, I, I can't remember. Was that back in the 80s or 90s? It was, well, John Howard was... Um, Prime Minister. Uh, he, yes, so that legislation preventing guns could well have caused, you know, uh, prevented far more uh, of these mass murderings. So, no, I don't have the date for that. Um, but he was referred to mental health officials when he was seven years old and again when he was 11 for torturing and harassing animals. Do you know any of the details of that behaviour? Not so much that behaviour, but he was once again quite doted upon by his um, parents, as I understand it. And he clearly had some mental health issues. Oh, yes. So. I believe he had an extremely low IQ right. and he could be quite get quite frustrated, um, be difficult to deal with. Um, he, he ended up forming a relationship with an older woman who was quite wealthy. I believe she was the heiress to the Tattersall's empire. And he um, moved in with her. And um, I, I would say today you might deem it he was her carer. But uh, yes, so that was what happened to him when he, he left his family. His father ended up dying. Um, but he was... I think doted on really, as I understand it, and yep. So the signs would have been there with the torturing of animals and just his general demeanour. And yeah. he didn't come from the same background as Malat at all. So this is where it makes it difficult to guess where these people are going to come from next. Uh, but the torturing of animals is certainly a precursor for some serious mental health issue going forward and lack of empathy. So to, lack of empathy, lack of empathy. So lack of empathy for life in general. I, I think that... It, is, it, is it a need to also exercise control? Yes, yeah. Over life? I think it must be because you've got... Um, well, the other thing that I was concerned about are people who are inclined to hurt helpless animals... Who is the next most available helpless target? And that would be little children. Yeah. So you've got infants and babies and toddlers. They can't tell anybody what's happened to them. And that's the danger. It might be repugnant that someone pokes the eyes out of a, a cat or sets it on fire, but it's terrifying when it goes to the next level. And they may be luring little ones away like with little Bolger Boy, I mean, that was something that came, was 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 broadcast all over the world. But how many times does this occur that we don't know of? Maybe it's not yeah. that bad, but it shouldn't be happening at all. No, and it shouldn't be happening at all. No. I, um, I had a case several years ago in, uh, it was in New South Wales, and there was a young boy, he um, didn't do very well at school. He... he didn't make friends easily. No. He was quite a shy young fellow. And he come from a very religious family. Mm. And I think they were like Mormons or one of those sort of groups, Mormons, Seventh-day Adventists, 
type of uh, groups that have a sort of cultish sort of bent. And his relationship with people outside of that circle was there, there wasn't much of it. He didn't no. have many connections outside of it. But he then started uh, working and he got work in a, a supermarket, yeah. just doing general sort of counter duties and uh, checkout duties at a supermarket. And he fell into some friendships. And there was, I think, one female and two males. Mm -hmm. They were just a little bit older than him. Um, he was in his mid-teens. He's just being able to start to work. So about that 15 years of age. And they were driving. So they were in like 16, 17 years of age. They saw 17, 18 years of age where they had driver's licenses. And they started asking him to accompany them on mm -hmm. outings. And his parents became really happy that he had some friends coming around, picking him up, and he was becoming more outgoing. Mm -hmm. So they saw it as a big positive in their child's life. And all the time... They had just been grooming him. Oh, no. And they'd been grooming him to practice stabbing something alive. Oh. And it was the girl who was the ringleader who had arranged it all. Mm. So they got him feeling very comfortable with their friendship and they pretended like he was their friend. One afternoon they pick him up and they take him to a remote uh, site where there's a, a bit of a reserve there. Mm -hmm. There was an outbuilding of some kind there as well, I believe. And the girl pulled out a knife, stabbed him several times, then passed the knife to one of the boys and said, go ahead, have a go. It feels just like when we were stabbing the chicken. Oh, no. So they'd obviously savagely attacked and, you know, killed mm. a chicken they've been practicing yes yeah, yeah. so they've been f finding some sort of pleasure this group of three young uh, adults mm. who had done these things and then the third uh, boy he also stabbed him a couple of times so she stabbed him several times mm -hmm. the boys stabbed him a couple of times and they just left him there did he die and they left him there he was he uh, said that he was unconscious for a period. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was the shock of what was happening. We don't know. No. Um, but he came to and he saw a light mm -hmm. and he just walked towards the light. Oh. And it was a farmhouse and it was some distance away. So luckily they, through their total lack of experience, I would um, suggest their mm -hmm. lack of knowledge of human anatomy, They've stabbed him in such a way that they haven't damaged his vital organs. No. So he's managed to make it there. And yes, he survived. The damage to him, though, and to his family, that loss in faith in other humans, mm. that'll just never be recovered. He probably is going to suffer from PTSD for the rest of his life. Mm. How is he meant to make meaningful relationships? But it was interesting to see that those three had started with animals mm. so they'd started animals and then made a transition to a person to a victim mm. i'm not sure what the driver was for them to no. uh, to do that so this was a case that i know of yes. um, and spoke to people that were involved that were i spoke to family members mm. but it wasn't a case that i had the carriage of so i, no. I still don't know how that ended up um, no. 
there at the end of the day. There is that crossover. <clears throat> uh, one of the um, John Raymond Travers that I remember finding out. Not and that was the Anita Cobby. Yes. Yep. That was one of the most disturbing murders that I can honestly say that I. Tell you know, us about that. That's a, it's a murder very well known in the legal look, fraternity, um, and it was highly publicised when it occurred. I think it was back in the 70s or 80s, wasn't it? 80s? Uh, it, look, I'm not sure of the exact dates. Um, she was a, a very beautiful young woman. Yes. Um, and a lovely person, I believe, training to be or was a nurse. Uh, she'd recently married. And they just spotted her, a group of young men in a car, and um, she was walking home, I believe, from a train station, going home after working um, in the city. And they, uh, there were a family of, of um, a group of young males that were all part of the one family and two other guys, their perpetrator being John Raymond Travers. He had... Um, a dreadful childhood, but he'd been known to kill and rape sheep from a very young age. He'd go and buy them and he would um, he'd cut their throat uh, while having sexual relations with the sheep um, and then he would uh, cut it up and they would barbecue it and eat it. So he had this kind of crossover where he was able to kill, kill an animal for the correct purpose to eat it, but in the meantime, be involved with the, this sort of dreadful... So bestiality yes, as well. yep, he did. And in fact, look, I don't know if it's true, but um, from what I gather, that's exactly what he did to her. Uh, while he was um, raping her, he just held her head and cut her throat at the same time. And um, she, she wasn't discovered straight away either, so... Uh, I, I just found... How many of them were there? There, were, there, there was a few of look, them. Look, I think there were three brothers. Were they Murphy? I, I'm not... Yes, I think that's right. There, then there was one other guy and Travers. They didn't... I, I don't know that they got released from prison. Travers died in prison. I understand he had some sort of cancer or a medical situation that took his life. Uh, but... That was um, just uh, appalling, that particular. And he most definitely started out killing animals for sure as well. Yeah, um, yeah they... Um, you've even got, when you talk about their background as well, um, from what I gather, Ted Bundy didn't have all that bad of a background. He was a notorious... Um, uh, serial killer in the United States, um, quite a, a handsome Ted Kennedy, the sort of J.F. Kennedy, that type of person, if you will, and nicely dressed. He used to have a, a, a fake broken arm plaster on his arm. He'd go around and ask ladies, could you help me because my arm's, you know, broken it. And he would lure them to his car that didn't have any door handles on the inside and take them away. And he killed them. How many people did Bundy murder. So, look, that's a good point. I, I think many, many that we don't know about, but uh, I think around the at least 15 or it was, something. Yeah, there were a lot, yeah. He was actually married and mm. 
he had a wife. I don't know that she knew what he did. But some of these guys, um, Dharma and definitely Bundy, were necrophiliacs. So much as they um, possibly had normal relationships with women as well, or men, I don't know. In the case of Dharma, I doubt it. But they, their desire to have a relationship with a person would only really be effective as far as they were concerned if the person was dead. Wow. So um, that tends to be a bit of a link with the killing of animals as well. Um, and uh, pretty heinous murders as well. They will keep the bodies and go back to them and continue to have sexual relation with the body until it's just decomposing. Wow. Um, yeah, so there are, there are quite a few. Have there been any serial killers in New Zealand? Um, I can't say that I've ever heard. Not not really. I think the the mosque killing was a more of a that that was a massacre. A massacre, yeah. Uh, sneaking around killing people. There, there have been rapists, yes. Um, but to be fair, I think the Australian police are much more effective at catching these people. Uh, I personally kind of know that if anything happens here, it's only a matter of time before the Australian police will get them. Mm. It, it wasn't my feeling that way in New Zealand. Okay. Uh, there were quite a few young women that'd be abducted and it, it was never discovered what happened to them over yeah. there. So maybe it's a smaller country, not as many police on the job, but they're pretty good at um, catching the criminals over here. Yes, yeah, I found that too. Yeah. I found that too. We've talked, we've talked about children being cruel to animals and that seeming to be an early indicator of violent crime in the future. Yes. So what do parents do if you observe your child involved in being cruel to animals or not being considerate of animals? I suppose there's, a, there's room for education, surely. Well, there is. Um, sometimes the animals take the law into their own hands. So um, if Fluffy's being dragged around by the tail, it could be that they'll bite and scratch the child. So in a way, you've got to be very careful to protect the child from injury if they're going to provoke an animal to bite or scratch. But I always used to just point out that um, if you're hurting Fluffy, and imagine what it would feel like if Fluffy hurt you. It's just unfair. And teach them that they do have uh, feel. I've always um, done that myself. It is difficult because pa certain parents have got different points of view. Um, some parents might think their child does no wrong and be allowed to do anything they want. And there are a lot of smaller families today without villages to raise their children. They're, they're not the aunties and uncles and grandmothers anymore, and the children are going off to daycare. Yeah. Um, and it's it's difficult to know who is actually teaching them. They could be the victims of bullying themselves at daycare and may not understand that it's not okay to run up and hurt someone. So it's a different world that we're living in now, actually. Yeah, very true. Um, I've got to just, with regard to... Um, cruelty to animals and an assessment of that um, the children do things for different reasons so you might have curiosity um, 
and the animal might be killed in the process. They might be have no idea that pulling the wings off flies is going to kill them, and that's just a very the beginning. Yeah. Um, peer pressure, as you were talking about earlier, let's all get together and stab somebody and see what happens. You've got mood enhancement. Um, abuse might relieve boredom and um, sexual grat gratification, the bestiality side of it. Um, you've got attachment to an animal. So you might um, even have a child take the animal away, hide it away, and it might die, starve to death or whatever to stop somebody else hurting it. Mm. Um, just sort of love, actually. Um, then you've got phobias. So there are children and humans who are afraid, for example, of birds, yeah. and they might kill just to keep them away. Um, Post-traumatic play, uh, so they will act out maybe themselves being attacked or abused and with the family pet, and as a result of that, the animal might die being choked, this sort of thing. Um, imitation of their parents' abuse to the animals. Uh, Self-injury. So um, they might just uh, maybe have a precursor to cutting themselves, and they'll experiment on the animal. They might be um, fascinated by the blood, this sort of thing. Um, they can rehearse, as we were talking earlier, for our interpersonal violence that they're planning with the chickens. So they're practicing on the animal, and then they have every intention of going to the next level and hurting a human. Um, and then finally, um, a vehicle for a, a, an emotional abuse. So this is what we're talking about with domestic violence, where um, you've got one partner will hurt the other person's dog or cat, um, make threats um, with livestock, horses, for example, well, I'm going to uh, send them to the dog food, this type of thing. And it can be terribly traumatic for the person that loves the pet. And it's becoming, we're noticing this with domestic violence yeah. matters quite frequently now. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So the message out of that is that if your child is cruel to an animal, they won't necessarily become a serial killer. No. I'm guilty. I'm, my mother <laughs> tells a story. I cannot remember the, the event. But my mother tells a story, so I'll accept it as being true. <laughs> she said that when I was about two or three years of age, we had a cat. The cat's name was Mitzi. And I was left to my own devices for a while, <laughs> and I decided the cat needed a haircut. Okay. So I got scissors and was trimming the cat's hair and accidentally cut its ear. Oh. And there was quite a lot of blood because it was the ear. Mm -hmm. And my mother said that she grabbed me, grabbed me by the ear and the scissors and ran the scissors across the top of my ear, but just the back side of the scissors. Yeah, yep. So I'd think that she was cutting off my ear. <laughs> She said, I never ever did such a stupid thing again. She's smart. So yeah. she's yeah, so, so she's put an end to that very quickly. And I bet you haven't done anything like that. No, again. no, absolutely no. not. And I've been a hunter. Yeah. Um, and I've taught my boys to hunt. That's right. You... And taught them that it's extremely serious business. It's the most serious thing you can do. But is, I, I is recall that... you um, bringing us, I might have been a goat. I can't remember one of your hunting specimens, but you'd made a delicious stew. Yeah, out of curry it. or something I would yeah. have made. Yeah, that's right. So, well, that's that's why I hunt is just for organic meat for yeah. the table. And there's yeah. absolutely no joy in taking a life. 
No. And when you do hunt, it's inevitable that if you're if you have a a hunting career or you, you're involved in hunting over a long period of time, it's inevitable that accidents will happen yeah. where the animal's not dispatched cleanly. No. It's all sorts of things like something getting in the way, uh, a bullet ricocheting off something and hitting another animal that you never intended to uh, no. hit at all. There's a whole range of, of reasons that it can go wrong. Yeah. Um, with practice, that's very rare that it does go wrong. But when it goes wrong... Um, there's an overwhelming feeling of compassion for the suffering mm. and a responsibility that you have been the one inflicting that has inflicted the suffering mm. and a responsibility to put an end to that suffering as soon as possible. And yeah. the events, I can recall in my, during the years of me hunting, I can recall three events. That's over many, many years but they are very fresh in my mind. I, c I can mm. describe them in, in a lot of detail. Mm. So that is obviously an example of where animals can be hurt, lives of the animals taken, but there's no intended cruelty. No, there, it and isn't. there's a lot of empathy for there the animal. There is. There's and an a lot overwhelming of sense of, um, for of the duty to, for, for, to find that animal. I know that a former client of mine, Aboriginal man, um, he was telling me he'd accidentally wounded a roo and he trailed it for miles until he found it. He had a conflict with the owners of the property because he didn't have permission to be there. But once he explained he was going to find this animal and put it out of its misery, they were fine with that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it's making sure that there's a dignity attached uh, when you're hunting them. But um, it's a completely different situation yeah. to hurting um, animals when you're a small child and, and what unfolds from that, yeah. Jenny, thank you very much. Okay, Thank you welcome. for being with us today. That's all right. All right, we'll okay. talk with you again soon. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to another episode of Crime Scene Gold Coast with Guardian Criminal Law. We're enjoying bringing you these podcasts on a weekly basis and we look forward to bringing you many more. Uh, we've got a Patreon page where you can subscribe That'll assist us in bringing you future episodes and also any money raised through that goes towards a youth help program that we're running. Uh, we look forward to your company for many months to come. Thank you.